You know, before we left, I had prepared a message that I was going to deliver today titled Faithful. But while I was away, I realized that today is Pentecost Sunday. And I knew that I needed to change my original plans. So we flew in yesterday afternoon. We got home, loved on the daughter, loved on the puppy dog. And I said, I got to go to the office. And I worked a sermon, put together a sermon for Pentecost Sunday. And and luckily, Samantha came in this morning and she put together a, a PowerPoint for me, which I didn't think I was going to have. I thought that was great that she was able to do that. So I want you to follow along with me as we discuss this morning the most important moments of our Christian faith. The day that marked the arrival of the third member of the, tr the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. While Jesus was walking on this earth and doing his public ministry, knowing full well what his mission was, and also knowing that once his mission was fulfilled, he would ascend and be at the right hand of the Father. On numerous occasions, Jesus told us of a coming power, the Holy Spirit. He made very clear, if, if I don't go away, it won't be good because the Holy Spirit, he says, will not come to you. And he used many titles or many functions to describe the Holy Spirit, such as helper, teacher, counselor, spirit of truth, comforter, and advocate. But whatever descriptive you choose to assign to the Holy Spirit, his arrival changed everything. Many people refer to the day of Pentecost as the birth of the church, because it is this day that the early New Testament church really began, and the rest is history. It was truly a day that changed everything. So let's read about this amazing day called Pentecost. If you'll turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, we will be there most of the day. Uh, there's a couple scriptures which will be up on the screen that I'm going to fill in, but we're going to be mainly in Acts chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there. I'll be reading this morning from the New International Version, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 is what we will begin with. The scriptures say, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now upon reading this, it brings to my mind a question, and it is this. If you were God, how would you choose to usher in the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit? If you wanted to make a grand entrance for the, for the third person of the triune Godhead, how would you go about doing that? Well, 33 years earlier, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus himself, came into this earth, came to this earth in the form of a baby, born in a manger. There wasn't a great deal of fanfare, as you'll recall, regarding his birth. And now the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, arrives in a second floor conference room with about 120 people in attendance. But regardless of how few people there were there, or perhaps even the lackluster room in which they met, three supernatural things occurred. First, there was the rush of a violent wind that entered into the room. 
Secondly, there was an appearance of, of what appeared to be a fireball that disperses and then hovers over the heads of everyone in that room. Thirdly, people started speaking fluently in other languages that they had never spoken before. Now follow me on this. Imagine all of those things happening right here, right now, in this place. A wind so loud that it would be like a locomotive passing by within mere inches of us, roaring and literally shaking this auditorium that you are sitting in today. Imagine a large ball of fire coming through that door and working its way and hovering itself above us for a moment and then dispersing in small bits of fire at each one's head. You say, brother, you got a fire on your head. And he's looking, you say, well, you do too. And then you begin to realize that the words that are coming out of your mouth aren't English, but instead you are fluently speaking a language that is unknown to you. And not only that, but everyone in this place is speaking out in languages that are unknown to them as well. Imagine this mighty rushing wind combined with these tongues of fire hovering over everyone's head and everyone is speaking in languages other than their own. What would that be like? Well, certainly this would be one Sunday you wouldn't want to have stayed at home. Unless you think that there is no real rhyme or reason for all of this, let me tell you God knew exactly what he was doing. There was significance to every one of the three things that occurred in that upper room on the day of Pentecost. These three symbols are very important to the people's understanding of what was actually taking place with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And you may ask, Pastor David, what was the significance of the loud, violent wind. What was that all about? Well, I believe that the significance of the wind was to let every single Christian know that there's a new kind of divine power that was going to sweep over their lives in a brand new way, in a way like they had never experienced it before. You see, during Jesus' ministry here on this earth, supernatural power was vested in him. He performed miracles of healing, of deliverance, of casting out demons, of, of feeding the multitude, of raising the dead. He did all of these things and everyone watched while Jesus did some of the most amazing, incredible miracles ever documented in human history. Well, now we are going to see a shift in the way things are done. And when the wind roars into that room, the Bible says everyone heard it. And God is showing in a very tangible way, there's now going to be supernatural power available to you, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, to every single rank and file member of the church of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus, redeemed men and women of God, this reality of this literally blew them away. They watched the Holy Spirit activated in their lives in the days and the weeks and the months and the years that followed. And it was so new and so not normal that common men would have access to the power of God's spirit in their individual lives. And can I just say this morning, many believers, even to this day, 
still have a hard time understanding the power that they possess being a follower of Jesus Christ. They have a hard time understanding that the same power is available to you, yes you, not the person sitting next to you, but you, and you can access it morning, noon, and night. In fact, you can walk in that power. As a pastor, people will often share with me important moments that are going on in their lives, and they'll say, please pray for me. Someone once said, Pastor, I, I've been working on a big presentation at work, and if it's accepted by our client, the contract could really beneficially, could benefit me financially in a big way. And all this week, I, I felt so all alone preparing for this. There was all kinds of stress. The pressure was just too great. I need you to pray for me. And I want to tell you, I am honored to pray for anybody about anything. I mean, just recently, I prayed for one of our students who was raising a, a steer for the, for the rodeo, the, for the con competition. I've never prayed for a steer before, but I did. I, I said, that was not in Bible college. They didn't tell me I'd be praying for steers, but I did. Because she wanted me to. She wanted to win this competition. We wanted that steer to put on the right amount of weight. Anyway, I'll get off on a different story here. And, and I'm honored to pray for anyone about anything. But sometimes I just want to say, do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? Couldn't you call on him to strengthen you? to encourage you, to help you with your creativity? And the response was something like this while I was at work. And, and it's like people think that God couldn't possibly be interested in those kinds of things and provide him, provide them with his power to help in that situation. But he is vitally interested in literally every aspect of your life. That mighty rushing wind signaled to all of us that his power was now available to you and to I, to everyone. And if that excites you, why don't you just say an amen? amen. There you go. You know, maybe you're a parent and your child is working into those teen years and they begin to question everything, including your authority. It seems like every day is difficult. You feel defeated. You feel like you can't understand why it is you're always fresh out of energy and fresh out of ideas. Your child is rebelling. The sparks are flying in your house and you throw up your hands and you say, I got nothing. I'm totally spent. I'm totally worn out. And then you stop and you take a deep breath and, and you realize, wait a minute, I've got the power of the Holy Spirit. I have access to wisdom and guidance and strengthen this situation. In addition to that, remember the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance a scripture just at the time that you need it and direct it towards your child. Listen, I don't know how else to say this, but when you are weak and seemingly defeated, the person and the power of the Holy Spirit is available to you. That mighty rushing wind symbolized that now every one of us has access to the Holy Spirit and everything he has to offer. There are no special distinctions anymore, amen? Now secondly, what are these tongues of fire all about? I mean, I want you to picture this. This big ball of fire comes in. 
It hovers around this place, and then it starts to break up in small tongues of fire, hovering over each one of your heads. I'm looking at you. You all have a flame, like your hair's on fire, but it's not. Imagine me looking out and seeing that. It's crazy. There's always been a sharp distinction between clergy and laity in the history of the church. If you go back, as long as you can go back, there's been a distinction. But I think that these tongues of fire, I believe that, that they're packed with supernatural theological significance. As I said, there's been this sharp contrast between laity and what we would call rank and file members of the church and those in positions of authority, such as priests or preachers or what we would call pastors. Clergy or priests always believe they, they, people always believed that they had some kind of a hotline to heaven. Because you're a pastor, you've somehow got this special relationship with God that gives you this pipeline that is not available to me. That's the way people thought for a long, long time. And, and, and because of that, as pastors, somehow we have this special relationship to, to pray public prayers and to preach public sermons and, and to counsel the confused and to marry couples and to provide funeral services when people die. And the super holy things could never be done by non-clergy or non-priests. And there would be consequences if they even tried. The system just wasn't set up that way. That is until the day of Pentecost. God sends the supernatural wind to signify now that God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit, is available to all Christ followers. And he sends these tongues of fire to hover over everybody's head, not just Jesus' closest followers like Peter, James, and John, but everyone in the room. And this symbolizes something that is very important. And you've got to grasp this truth today. This symbolizes now that every single Christian is now becoming a minister. Every single person who is a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ has now received a special anointing upon their life to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Every single follower is on an even standing with those who were previously believed to have all this special stuff like the priest to go out and be ministers, to carry out God's purposes in this world. The distinction between people like you and me was blown out of the water on the day of Pentecost. So much so that as Peter leaves the building, and you can read about this as you continue on in Acts chapter two, he immediately goes out and he starts to preach. On the streets of Jerusalem, all, there's all kinds of discussion going on about the risen Savior and what happened in that room. And the Bible says that a large crowd gathers around Peter, and Peter is about to step forward and give the sermon of his life. Remember, he wasn't a preacher. He was a fisherman, and now he's preaching. And he's probably thinking to himself, I don't have any formal training in this. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. But I'm going to do this through the strength and the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, under the power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people heard his message that day, and they were cut 
to the core. And they received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You talk about a Billy Graham moment. Let me tell you something. That was one of them. And immediately, 3,000 converts were brought in to the early New Testament church by, get this, a person who was not clergy. Imagine that. This is a shift that turns kingdom history on its ears. On Pentecost, God is taking the mold of a minister of the gospel and he's smashing it into pieces because now we all fit the mold. God is introducing now his church, how his church is going to be built and it's gonna be done through rank and file members of his church. This is how ministry is now going to be done as we move forward to build and continue to build the New Testament church. The day of Pentecost is what kick-started the, the, the church of Jesus Christ. And through common men and common women of God, a network of churches was established. And they did incredible things as they grew. And they won the lost to Jesus Christ. Let me read to you what developed from all of this. The miracle of the new church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There was a time in history when a supernatural church like this existed, when people were truly devoted followers of Jesus Christ, there were people who prayed bold prayers and they expected God to answer those prayers. And God sent signs and wonders and miracles. It was a community where people really loved each other with a radical kind of a love. A community where they referred to each other as brothers and sisters and they meant it. As a boy, I grew up in a church that was very much like that. My dad wasn't Charles Blythe, he was Brother Blythe. And my mom was Sister Blythe, and sadly, I was called Troubled Blythe, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but that early community broke down socioeconomic, economic, and racial walls. The Bible says that they broke bread together in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, which simply means they took off the spiritual masks. They were true to each other. They got real with one another. They weren't afraid to share their weaknesses and their needs and their concerns or their real life issues and struggles with one another. People would say, brother, I need you to pray for me right now and pray for my family. They, they quit and broke down all the facades and they got real with each other. And guess what happened? God did amazing things. And this community was so full of joy because it was real because it was authentic, so much so that they began to sell their possessions to meet the needs of those within the community. This is what was going on in that early church. 
And their worship was so deep and it was so real that people would look in from the outside and think, I wonder if God has room in there for me. Do you think I might be able to, to come and be a part of this new church of Jesus Christ? And so people came and people were saved and the church grew by leaps and bounds. Every time I read this account, I am moved by the sheer reality of what was taking place that was all ushered in by Pentecost. And my spirit is deeply hit with this question that I'm going to ask of all of you. Why can't a church community like this exist today? In 2023, in Red Bluff, California, a community of people who love the word of God so much that they build their lives around its precepts, who love the Lord with all their heart and their mind and their soul and their strength. Why can't there be such a radical kind of love in the body of Christ today? Why can't there be bold prayers that are prayed by people, followed by signs and wonders and miracles? And why can't Christians be winning people to Jesus every day? Why can't such a community exist like that today? Has God lost his stuff? Or are we just a bunch of dispensationalists who believe that the power that was ushered in on the day of Pentecost doesn't apply to us today? Has the gospel message lost its ability to transform lives and to win the lost? Of course not. The Bible tells me that my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and therefore a church like that can exist this very day. And why not in Red Bluff, California? And right now, I know some of you, your hearts are pumping like mine is when you hear about the potential of winning this city for Jesus. And this is what you're saying, sadly. Pastor David, I'm in full agreement with you. Now let's just see God raise you up and win this city for Christ. That's why we brought you here. This is exciting stuff. You go, Pastor David. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, let me give you a quick snapshot of the modern-day typical American church. A new congregation starts out usually from, from a Bible study or sadly a church split where somebody didn't like the church they were in and so they decided to go start a utopia somewhere else or, or, or it's a new church plant somewhere. And a pastor is hired to operate the church and minister to the congregation. He counsels and preaches and teaches and administrates and manages and plans and visits people in the hospital and performs wedding ceremonies and funerals. And every couple of years, a vote is taken as to whether or not the congregation thinks he's doing a good enough job. And I understand it's, it's a safeguard in case the church made the wrong choice or perhaps the pastor just isn't capable of performing his expected duties. When he lacks the leadership, to get the job done, or he is incapable of leading it into a, a better, more productive future. And clearly, the emphasis becomes the pastor, and either how well or how poorly he is ministering to the saints, the already redeemed men and women of God. And don't get me wrong, all of that is vitally important, but sadly, many people in the American church lose sight 
of, of what Pentecost entailed and the new responsibilities it poses for all of us. We, we've lost sight of what was unleashed upon us in that we are all ministers of the gospel and we all have a job to do. Yes, I get paid. Yes, there are high expectations of me as your pastor and I understand that and I work hard at trying to be the kind of pastor that you deserve and I wouldn't have it any other way. But what role do you play in all of this? You see, many wonder as we grow and as we continue to prosper here, thank God he has allowed us to grow and prosper. What kind of team or, or what kind of staff will we have as we continue to build this church and it continues to grow? And I've got to tell you something. I'm looking at my team right now. You are my team. You're God's team. And, and the day of Pentecost opened up an anointing upon you so that you can effectively perform ministry and do great things yourself for God's kingdom. The impact that High Point will make upon this community largely falls upon what we do collectively. Our impact will only be as great as our combined efforts and not what Pastor David does in Red Bluff. You see, when that mighty wind rushed into that place, and when the fire dispersed and it landed on everyone's head, it signified that now great things for God would be accomplished by everyday ordinary folk like you and like me. You don't have to attend Bible college. You don't have to attend seminary. You just gotta be willing to be used by God and utilize the power of his Holy Spirit. All you need is a heart for God and to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to have a belief that Pentecost changed everything because it did. Many of those in the upper room were working people. And if Pentecost happened in our day, there would be managers and business owners and carpenters and teachers and law enforcement and bankers and retirees and custodians and you name it. Well, Pentecost opened the door for you. And when God looks down upon us today, he doesn't see any distinction between my life and your life. He sees us all as ministers of the gospel, all of us called by God to do great things. And some of you may be thinking, uh-oh, that means I'm not off the hook. And you're right. You're not. There's so many needs within this community. You don't have to look far to see the many tasks of ministry that God needs us to fulfill here in Red Bluff. And many turn a blind eye to it. And, and they take on this attitude, that's not my responsibility, Pastor David, that's yours. That's what we pay you for. I'm happy to come, I'm happy to pay my tithe, but quite honestly, I just don't feel like a minister. Well, can I be real transparent with you? Sometimes I don't either. To this day, when I hear my name called out, Pastor David, it still seems a bit different. It's odd. It's, it's, it's a title that, 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 that I, I'm proud of. It's a title that I cherish, but I don't always feel worthy of it. I am simply a man. I'm a businessman who received a calling from God in my life and I answered that call. Does that make me perfect? Well, you know the answer to that question. 
Do I have all the right answers? Absolutely not. Do I make all the right decisions? No, I don't. Does every prayer that I pray get answered? Does every person who is sick that I pray for get healed? No. There are times I don't always feel like a pastor, especially when I go to pastor events and, and con conferences and conventions, because so many of them are not like me at all. And truthfully, some of them are just downright weird. <laughs> I went to district council a couple of weeks ago, and as I observed, don't worry, Wes, I'm not stepping on your AG roots here, brother. Take it easy. As I observed, I find some of them are funny to me in a lot of different ways, even in the way they dress. You got the old school guys who would never crawl out of bed without putting a necktie on. God, I love them guys. They, they wear a tie wherever they go. And then you got the young whippersnappers with the cool t-shirts and the gelled hairdo, you know, that wet look with the little shark fin going to the top. These young guys are taught in Bible college that if you, you will be more relatable to your youth if you do your hair that way. It's like a class they take in Bible college, Gel 101. <laughs> and then you got the 40 and 50 year old pastors trying to look like 20 year old pastors. That is hilarious. I was at general council once and saw a guy in pink pants that were so tight and a t-shirt and he had a body like me. He looked like a weeble walking around and I thought, dude, <laughs> Dude, you don't, that does not work for you. Don't be your age, be who you are. If you paid more money, the jokes would get better, folks. So. And me, you know, my hair is clearly stuck in the 70s, so pray for me. You know, that's just the way that it is. I'm comfortable with who I am, that's who I'm going to be. At these events, you meet all kinds of pastors. Some of them are very nice. Some of them won't even look you in the face. And the point I'm trying to make is this. If I've got to fit into some kind of a mold, a mold that looks like some of what I have seen, then I think I'm probably the farthest thing from a pastor that there is. I got to be me. I got to use whatever gifts God has given me to further his kingdom. And I can't worry about what the others are doing. And what I'm trying to convey to you this morning is that just like I refuse to get stuck in some stereotype of what a pastor looks like or what he acts like or what he dresses like, then you must refuse to get stuck in the typical church attender rut in the good old USA. There's a typical, that, there's a typical church attender too. You've got to understand that Pentecost happened for you to give you the power that you need to in fact go out and win souls, to fulfill the Great Commission. Probably 80% of you here are in the workplace. You rub shoulders with people I may never ever rub shoulders with. You can be an influence in their life for Christ Jesus. And please, you cannot take on the attitude, I'm off the hook, because you're not off the hook. When the Holy Spirit arrived on the day of Pentecost, you were provided with the ability and the power to minister. There is now, again, let me say, no distinction between clergy and laity. The only distinction is that the word of God says that I will be held to a higher standard than you will as a shepherd of this church. That's the only distinction. And you might also know that my job in the Bible is to equip the saints for ministry. That's my job. Did you know that? 
Okay. God has given all of you gifts. He's given all of you talents and abilities, and he desperately wants you to use them for his kingdom purposes and away and out of this place, in the marketplace, in, in school, at the shop, to have a heart for God and to be willing to be used by the Holy Spirit. And I want to say one more time, you're not off the hook. None of us are because we are now all qualified as ministers and we are all called to do something for the Lord. Now in talking about being on the hook, it's important to realize that God equips us to do ministry. He gives us special abilities or spiritual gifts to effectively do ministry. I'm gonna to go to Romans chapter 12, verses four through eight. It'll be up on the screen. It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11 will be up on the screens. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. These are all examples of divine abilities that God entrusts every Christian with so, so that we will have some special capacity in order to win the loss to Jesus Christ. When you were adopted into God's family, you were given one. In fact, most people have several spiritual gifts. Most people don't ask for these gifts, but we must certainly steward these gifts because they are entrustments from God. You don't want to be the one in the Bible who buries your talent into the ground. He gave it to you for a purpose to be used. So if God has given you the spiritual gift of leadership, you will no doubt be leading in the workplace. But God has given it to you so that you will also lead in his kingdom work, to move his kingdom forward in this world. There are people in this church, you've had the spiritual gift of leadership, and I'm not trying to be heavy on you this morning, but you're using it all out in the marketplace, and God is getting very little of it, if any at all. The gift given to you by God has been squandered when it comes to his kingdom purposes. You don't lead any initiatives. You don't step up or you don't step out. You, use, you don't use your gift in the local church. You say, I'm off the hook. I'm not a minister. I'm in the workplace. 
Well, let me just say, I wholeheartedly agree that you need to use your gifts in the workplace to lead, but you should, you should lead and you should do it well, but don't hide your God-given gift from the one who blessed it with you in the first place. You should capture a certain amount of your leadership horsepower, as it were, and utilize it to propel the kingdom of God forward in some measurable and some kind of a tangible way. And I will tell you, if you want to experience a kind of satisfaction unlike anything you've ever experienced in the workplace, utilize your gifts for God's purposes and you will literally be blown away because it brings such satisfaction and it brings such joy into your life. But in addition, while doing so, people are likewise being blessed by you using your gifts. The point is that, that your gift will bring satisfaction to you through using it, but also it will bless the body of Christ. All of you have been given gifts. Some of you have been given gifts of teaching and the children, as well as our teens, as well as our adults in this church need you. Some of you have been given the gift of helps, helping behind the scenes, pulling all the details together. Some of you have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of generosity and you love to give and you give generously of your financial resources. Some have the gift of prophecy. Many of you here have the gift of speaking and interpreting tongues. You heard a message in tongues during our worship time. The message of tongues came from our sister. She also interpreted it. And many of you have that gift, but you're not operating in that gift. Whatever your gifts are, please understand, it is not my responsibility to get you to use your gifts. It is solely your responsibility. You are accountable to God for your spiritual gifts, just like I am accountable to God for my own. And one day, you will account to God for how you used or did not use the gifts that he gave you, and so will I. See, God doesn't care about your pedigree. He doesn't care if you're a fifth generation assembly of God Pentecostal. He will use you where you are right now on Pentecost, a supernatural occurrence moment, a, a, a moment occurred whereby everyone became a minister and they were expected to use their spiritual gifts for God's glory. And people became burdened by the lost souls around them and they loved one another, and they got off the bench, and they got into the game. And the early New Testament church, as a result, grew rapidly, and lives were transformed, and the gospel message of Jesus Christ was spread throughout the nations. And speaking of nations, that leads me to the final thing that occurred in that upper room. What about this speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance? Well, at High Point, we belong to a fellowship called the Assemblies of God. We are a Pentecostal church. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. We believe in, and many of us have experienced an endowment of power that has come from that experience, just like those who were in the upper room. We understand through the scriptures that if a message in tongues occurs in a public service like ours, it is to be followed with an interpretation. 
in order for it to edify the entire body and not just the person who is speaking in tongues and in order for it to be done in order. We also believe that God provides us with a prayer language, praying in tongues, as well as many other supernatural and spiritual gifts. Well, understand, it was the day of Pentecost that unleashed it all. And we see throughout the New Testament, from the day of Pentecost forward, how people were saved. And not only were they saved, but they immediately began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But on this day, the day that God chose to usher in the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, on this day, God provided an amazing miracle. A miracle that allowed all the people who were in Jerusalem that day, who were from other parts of the world, who spoke in other languages to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. Let's go back to Acts chapter two, verses six through 11. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. God provided a miracle that day that allowed all who were within earshot of what was happening in that upper room to hear it in their own language. And lest you don't think this kind of thing happens today, let me tell you of a dear friend of mine, Pastor Saeed Hosseini. You can probably tell by his name, he's not from America. He grew up in Iran. He was raised a Muslim. He came to the United States to, to attend college. He bought a, a, a Domino's pizza franchise and pretty much had about 50 of them in Chicago, became a multimillionaire. He married the woman of his dreams. Of all things, she was a Mormon, and he started attending a Mormon church. But for some reason, they felt like they were empty. There was still not enough. So they decided to go to another church one day. And that's when God started dealing with my friend Saeed. And he was torn between the faith that he had been raised at in as a Muslim and now about this Jesus Christ that he was hearing so much about. And by the way, he was having dreams and other things were going along with this. The Holy Spirit was clearly dealing with Saeed throughout all of this. He went to church again, but before he went, this time he decided to pray. And he said, Jesus, if you are real, reveal yourself to me today in a tangible way. Well, at that service, someone spoke in tongues very much like what we had today. And guess what language it was in? It was in Farsi, his first language. And here was the message for him. The message was don't doubt and don't fear, for I am the one true God. And my friend Saeed was gloriously saved that day, and he is now a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At Pentecost, when everyone was speaking 
in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit was saying, we're now going global. You're going to take this message to the world. And why did he say that? Because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Mark eleven seventeen. my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God loves this whole world, ladies and gentlemen, and every person within it. And the Holy Spirit that was introduced to us on the day of Pentecost was and is the strength and the power that you and I need to fulfill the great commission that Jesus has called us to fulfill. Dream with me here for just a minute. And think about what might happen here in Red Bluff if every one of us got inspired. And we decided we were going to take our individual calling as ministers of the gospel seriously, as seriously as anything else that we've done in our life. And we, like the early New Testament church, began to love freely and unconditionally to those who don't look like us, to those who don't act like us and begin to pray bold prayers in the belief that God was going to answer those bold prayers. And we begin to look at everyone that we come into contact with, not just as an interruption to our day, but as a lost soul who desperately needs Jesus Christ. There's a Christian song that I love the lyrics to because they say, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. That's got to become our heart's cry church family. It does. We got to refuse to stay cozy and warm within the walls of this place without taking what we have and sharing it to a lost world outside these walls. We can't afford to do business as usual any longer because every day we do, souls are literally hanging in the balance. You might be the only Jesus that this person will ever see. Therefore, it is incumbent upon you and me to let Jesus shine through us every day. While we were away, I continued to receive prayer requests that Samantha sends out to our prayer team. And whenever I get those, I think to myself, I am so thankful that this person has a church family who is concerned for their well-being. But what about the people outside of these walls? who face difficulties every single day, and they have no one to turn to, and better yet, they don't even know who to turn to. This is when you step in. This is when you become aware of somebody's difficulties, and you become a minister, and you encourage them. And instead of just listening, you take the time to pray for them. You would be shocked at the opportunities that will open up for you if you just start asking people if you can pray for them. Become the hands and the feet of Jesus. Bring them the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. When God called our family to High Point, he gave me a vision of this place being packed out multiple times in the course of a weekend. He impressed upon me that one day we'd have 10% of this city's population attending High Point Assembly. If my math serves me correctly, that would be about 1,400 people. And honestly, you may think to yourself, I don't want my church to be that big. I'm very happy just the way it is. And some of you feel that way. I know that because I've talked to you. And in case you think that that vision is about me or about my legacy 
or a man-made dream that I came up with because all I care about is having a big church. Let me share this with you. Church growth only happens when people who were once lost find Jesus. It happens one soul at a time. And when a church doesn't grow, bottom line is that it means this. We aren't being the ministers that God has called us to be. We are not fulfilling the Great Commission. Every empty seat, not seat, every empty gap that I see in these pews, I look at as a potential soul. And you should too. And and honestly, if that kind of thing never crosses your mind, I'd have to say you've gotten a little bit too comfortable in your Christianity. You've lost sight of the objectives of the New Testament church. And maybe you need to ask God to open your heart and to open your eyes once again to the many people surrounding you who are lost. And when you begin to see them, remember that Pentecost happened so that you would be equipped to lead them into a relationship with Jesus. I was thinking if every one of us in this place took one person under our wing, targeted them and said, said, God, help me to lead this individual to you. And we all did that. This church would double in size overnight. There'd be another 500 plus souls that would be added to the Lamb's book of life. And when that one that we brought to Christ did the same, we would triple and we would have 10% of the city's population at High Point Assembly. But why stop there? Because growth could continue to happen one right after another. We might have to have a church service every night of the week. That's how desperately this city needs Jesus. Imagine what that would do to the landscape of Red Bluff, California. Because when people receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, they begin to look past their seemingly hopeless situations and they begin to have hope in Almighty God. And that hope changes everything. It changes their outlook. It changes their actions and the way they live in our community benefits from these transformed lives. And soon our community starts to prosper and pride in our community increases. And and we all live better lives. Can you see this? Can you visualize this? Are you challenged by this? I hope that you are. I have done my best this morning to try to get you to understand the life-changing importance of Pentecost, both then and now. Yes, it's about the Holy Ghost and fire. Yes, it's about spiritual gifts. It's, it's about operating in those supernatural gifts. It's about the supernatural activity of God. But the greatest purpose for us receiving that power is to, for us to be able to reach souls for Christ. It's all about souls. No one will know anything about the Holy Spirit if they don't know Jesus first. It's all about Christ followers now having the power and the ability and the anointing to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. We are Christ's church. We are his bride. 
And now we are equipped to do the ministry. And there isn't a one of us in here who is off the hook. We all bear responsibility for bringing souls into the kingdom of God. Scott, will you guys come forward and help me close this down? Can I get my water? Man, you take a week off and your throat gets hoarse. That's weird. As I prayed about today and how I'd like to end this service, several things came into my mind. First of all, after hearing what's been presented this morning, if you've been challenged, if you've come to realize that that none of us are off the hook and you want to do your part in seeing this community one for Jesus, in a moment I'm going to ask you to come to this altar and ask the Lord to help you to put your convictions and your thoughts and your concerns and yes, even your fears into action. For you to come and for you to seek God's guidance on what gifts you have and how you can utilize them to win those who you know are lost. We've got to make this a matter of prayer, ladies and gentlemen. We cannot afford to keep kicking this uncomfortable can down the road with no action plan on where it is that I start because I'm not off the hook. And it starts right here at this altar. Secondly, I was thinking about people here today who perhaps have never received salvation. You are not in a relationship with Jesus. And if you are here today and you're not saved, in a minute I want to give you a chance to come to this altar and receive salvation. The Bible says that you must confess and believe. It says in Romans 10:9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All you need to do is say a simple prayer. Acknowledge Jesus as God's only son and the only way to God the Father. Acknowledge that he died on the cross in excruciating death and the blood that he shed covers or atones for your sin. Confess your sins and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. He will. The Bible says he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness and you will become a new creation. Thirdly, there are people here today who have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the physical evidence of speaking in other tongues. You've heard it take place in our services. You've wondered about it. You've never experienced it. You've been curious and you've wondered how to receive this gift. Well, it's quite simple. First, you have to have salvation. That's the prerequisite. Having received salvation through Christ Jesus. After that, if it is something that you desire, you must simply ask for it. And if it is a sincere desire of your heart, you will receive it. Now, I'll give you a little bit of history on me. I went to the altar three or four times to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It didn't happen for me. And I thought I was some kind of a reject. I thought there was something really wrong with me. And without going into all the details, I was in Bible college when it happened for me. It was on Christmas break. I sat up in the bed in the middle of the night and I started speaking in tongues. That's how it happened for me. I was so worried about it not happening that I believe I stifled it from actually happening. I wanted the gift so much. And my sister told me, she said, seek the giver of the gift. Don't worry about the gift. The, the gift will come. So even if you come and pray for it and you don't receive it, don't walk out of here and feel, look like a whoop pup. You had a moment with God. You've let him know your desire. You let him know your need. The fact that you want this gift, he will give it to you. I guarantee you he will. 
So you must be saved and you must ask him for it. Luke eleven thirteen. I wanna read this to you. It says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Just ask God to fill you today with the Holy Spirit, and he will. Before I open this altar, I'd like to ask whatever members of our prayer team we might have in here today, I'd like you to stand at both of those doors over there because I want you to be available to pray for people. If you're a part of our prayer team, is there any of our prayer team members here? Or is it going to be Anthony and I? Or Frank? Okay. Susan? Anthony? If you come up to this altar and you would like someone to pray for you, just approach one of them. They'll be more than happy to pray with you for whatever it is that you're coming up here to be prayed for. But before we open the altar, I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to bow your heads with me because I want to pray a prayer before we come to the altar. Holy Spirit of the living God, we welcome you in this place. As people come to this altar today for a variety of reasons, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, with your strength, with your power, with your wisdom, with your discernment, all the things that you give us. I pray that today would be a life changer for anybody who steps foot towards this altar. We ask you to do a work that only you can do. And Father, I pray for those who are standing right now wondering if they're gonna come up here. The whole tug of war is going on in their heart right now. Should I go? What will people think? Maybe they think I'm already a juggernaut of the faith and I'm really not, or maybe I'm not what I think I am. All these things that the enemy puts into our minds that prevent us from coming to the altar and seeking God the way that we should, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that pride. I rebuke that distraction that would cause someone to come up with a reason or an excuse not to come up to this altar today. Father, I truly believe this is gonna be a turning point in our church, and I believe it starts today. And I ask you to move mightily in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This altar is now open. Anyone who would like to come and pray while the worship team sings, after a time at the altar, I will close the service in prayer. Let's go. Caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to I'm not here for blessings And Jesus, you don't owe me anything And more than anything that you can do I just want you Caught up in your presence, Lord Caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet 
such a sweet presence of God's Spirit in this place. All those at the altar can stay as long as they would like. I'll go ahead and dismiss the rest of you in closing prayer. You bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for Pentecost. It's a day that changed everything. The day that gave us the ability to do those things you've called us to do. Father, I pray that everyone in my church family would desire everything that you have for them. Everything that the Spirit offers. Father, that we would all be passionate about winning those we know who are lost to Jesus Christ. Pray that you would raise up an army out of this church that would take your word seriously and would trust in your power and your direction and your discernment and your wisdom. And we would lead masses to the kingdom of God. 
that this city would be totally transformed by the power of the Spirit of the living God. And that we wouldn't call Red Bluff Dead Bluff anymore, but we would call it a vibrant, God-filled city. You can do it, Lord. Even though we may in the back of our minds think it's too big of a job, you can do it. And I pray that we would all be an integral part of that happening. Give us boldness, give us confidence, give us the ability to get out of our comfort zone and to open our mouths and to share the goodness of Jesus with others. We go our separate ways, Holy Spirit, go with us, guide us and direct us. Help us to be encouragers and lover of other people, to show them the goodness of Jesus and lead them into the way eternal. Pray that you'll keep us safe till we gather together again. Keep us safe from sickness or illness or any accidents that might befall us till we can gather together again and worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we go today, Father, let us go in love. I ask these things in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here.